Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How is the coronavirus affecting the Tampa Bay Lightning? And this includes equipment, right? And the Bolts have added some physicality with Pat Maroon, Barclay Goodrow, and Blake Coleman, among others. Is that starting to pay off? We'll look back at the 10 years of ownership of the Lightning by Jeffrey Vinnick and the impact he has had on the Tampa Bay community. We're going to discuss all that with Diana Neros, who covers the Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times, and tell you the best landing spots for Jameis Winston should he leave the Bucks on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, I know you've heard of Tampa Bay Downs, but if you haven't experienced it for yourself, what's taking you so long? Tampa Bay Downs has been a Tampa Entertainment landmark since 1926. Of course, they offer more than just thoroughbred horse racing, which happens every Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Gates open at 11. Post time is 12.25. The excitement is always fun. But you can also play some poker in the Silks Poker Room, and you can work on your golf game at the Downs Practice Facility. Mike Henry joins us from Tampa Bay Downs. And, Mike, a huge Saturday for you out there uh, at the Downs. Tell us about what's coming up. Well, it's our annual festival day. We're calling it Festival Day 40, referring to the fact that it's the 40th running of the Grade 2 $400,000 Lambholm South Tampa Bay Derby. And that's a mile in the 16th race for three-year-old Triple Crown candidates. And there are 12 horses entered, so it looks like it's wide open from one standpoint. But from another standpoint, I think a lot of people are anticipating the showdown between Sole Volante, who won the Sam F. Davis Stakes here four weeks ago, and Chancet, a real nice Florida-bred colt who actually beat Sole Volante at Gulfstream back in January. We have four other stakes also on tap. Uh, the Grade 2 Hillsborough Stakes for older fillies and mares, and the Grade 3 Florida Oaks for three-year-old fillies. And both of them have drawn 12 horses. We have the Grade 3 Challenger Stakes for older horses, and we have the Columbia Stakes for three-year-olds on the turf. So five stakes races, three on the turf, four graded, and it's uh, potential for the largest wagering day in Tampa Bay Downs history. And the weather's going to be perfect, of course, for the Festival Day 40, the 40th running of the Tampa Bay oh, Derby. We've got our fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm not I'm not jinxing you. Hey, anything can happen, as we know, in March. But it uh, looks good so far. In any case, get out there and watch uh, these beautiful three-year-olds run. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate it. Good to talk to you as always, Rick. For more information, you can call Tampa Bay Downs at 813-855-4401 and check out their website at tampabaydowns.com for their 2020 promotions and make plans to live it up at the Downs. I will discuss the Tampa Bay Lightning here in just a minute with Diana Neros. But first, uh, you know, I can't turn on the TV, Steve. Uh, anytime it's Get Up or um, one of the NFL shows, NFL Live or any of them, they're always talking quarterbacks. And they will be until the franchise tags come out on the 12th of March here next week. But 
they talk a lot about uh, not just Tom Brady, but also Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston has gotten a lot of national attention lately. Maybe they're just tired of, of just discussing Tom. Um, but Winston is one of those players that you know has a, a high, high ceiling, as everybody knows, and then also a pretty low floor. And people are trying to figure out if, in fact, there is a market for him outside of Tampa Bay. Let's say he doesn't return to the Buccaneers. And I've heard some wild things, and then I've heard some things that kind of make sense. What's hard to do is to find, as we've said before in this podcast, a place where you know that he could go and he could start. Now, that changes all the time, right, with the uh, sort of the dominoes that are, that are bound, to, bound to fall. Um, but there are, there are some crazy scenarios, and then there are some, like I said, that just kind of make sense. And I wrote a column about it in the Tampa Bay Times. You can read it on tampabay.com. I'll just run through maybe a few of them real quickly here. And and this one I this one I'm still waiting for because first of all we know that the Bucks play the Las Vegas Raiders right next year and wouldn't it be great if that were the first game the opening game in Las Vegas for the Raiders John Gruden against the former team uh, you know that he won a Super Bowl with against the Raiders after he was traded from the Raiders it's very confusing but it's also just perfect synergy uh, for the Bucks maybe to open that stadium there in Las Vegas and. I'll tell you what, man. Wouldn't it be great to see Jameis Winston run Spider 2 wide banana against the Bucks? What would you say to a possible Derek Carr? They move the, the, the Raiders decide, you know what, we, we're moving on from Derek Carr, who's a guy that Gruden inherited. And we all know that Gruden's favorite quarterback is the one he doesn't have. And so if he's unable to get the GOAT in Tom Brady, um, but Derek Carr kind of has his GOAT and he doesn't like the way he checks the ball down and he's kind of tired of him. They trade Derek Carr someplace, probably not to Tampa Bay. Um, if you want to take a step further, you could say that. But Jameis becomes a free agent and signs with the the Las Vegas Raiders. And if you want a little buttressing of this uh, possibility, as wacky as it might sound, how about ESPN's Adam Schefter, who said on the Dan Patrick Show, according to my sources, I always remember John Gruden being a big fan of Jameis Winston from our production meetings with him back when he was at ESPN. And so you wonder, would they, could they, have any interest in Jameis Winston? That would seem to make, make sense based on the way he made me feel. So isn't that interesting that, that you know, Gruden was a kind of a Jameis Winston fan, if you will, uh, which brings in a whole thing. So I would think that for Jameis to go there, he wouldn't necessarily go as a backup, although there could be a Ryan Tannehill situation like they had in Tennessee behind Marcus Mariota. you got a wobbly starter in Derek Carr. Maybe they keep Carr. Maybe they bring in Jameis Winston to back him up, and if he falters, they put him in. Now, this would assume that Jameis can't find a starting job someplace as a free agent, but that would be that would make for a good opener, Jameis Winston and John Gruden against the Bucks. It would definitely be, yeah, it would be compelling. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would be. Compelling is a good word <laughs> as we search for adjectives. I mean, you know, television loves storylines, and there's tons <laughs> of them, and especially if the quarterbacks were to swap or just oh one of them was at one or the other. Oh, my. Um, although I, I think, you know, the Jameis backing up Derek Carr would be tough, kind of like the New Orleans scenario, because Derek Carr's contract's pretty big. Yeah. I don't think it's Drew Brees big, but, you know, you're going to start investing a lot of money in A lot in of money invested in the quarterbacks, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, you probably have to move Derek Carr, and I think if he did go there, it would be probably a scenario where – Derek Carr was no longer in the building. Here's the wildest one as far as rumors go. Not a rumor per se, but uh, I heard somebody mention it one day, and I thought, okay. So Jerry Jones, right? He's in a bad Mm -hmm. place with Dak Prescott. He can't reach a long-term deal with his quarterback. And he also needs to sign Amari Cooper. 
the best solution, of course, is he's absolutely going to franchise um, Prescott. I mean, he's going to get the tag. They're not going to let him out of here. But what if Dak Prescott goes hardline and says, you know what, the hell with it. I'm going to Cabo. You know, like I'm not – I'm going to do what Zeke did and lay low for a while because he's the quarterback. Quarterbacks don't hold out, you know, for good reason. And somebody has to lead that football team. I mean, in the absence of – of, of Dak Prescott, that's a good football team. They want to win a Super Bowl, and you don't know how long that's going to last. And so what if Jerry Jones went out and said, I really believe we got to get a playmaker who can throw the ball to Amari Cooper. And he goes and he signs Jameis Winston to come in there, put the star's helmet, be the de facto starter if or in, unless Prescott comes back. Um and then, then, of course, he could always sink into the backup job. But wouldn't that be wild to think of it Jerry would, Jones, a guy that wants to win now? It would be, but I can't see Jerry Jones signing Jameis Winston before he tries to get Tom Brady. True. Well, yeah, he'd have to he strike out there. Absolutely. absolutely right. go. I think I, that may be part of the holdup on Dak Prescott, honestly. Maybe. Maybe. Is that he wants to see, can I get Tom Brady to wear that Dallas, that star on the helmet mm-hmm. for the Dallas Cowboys? Quarterback for the Cowboys is like playing center field for the Yankees, isn't it? That iconic, yeah. iconic position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What, what about what about the rumor that they'll trade Jameis Winston to the Vipers for Quentin Flowers? <laughs> well, Quentin wants out. I know that. I don't. But he wants to be sure here. Jam- yeah. Well, he wants to be here. I'm sure so, he'd love. See, to he be- would stay in Tampa. He'd stay at Raymond James Stadium. Uh huh. He'd be in the NFL. I think that would be what they call a promotion. Yes. Uh, um, even on the practice squad, he'd make more money in the NFL, especially with this new CBA. That's a weird thing with Quentin Flowers, not that we're jumping around a little bit to the, uh, to the XFL. But um, I don't know. I read a story. It was like, yeah, he, he wants to be traded, which is odd enough because the league owns all the teams. It's not as if you got, like, one ownership group in, you know, say, Dallas or, or Seattle that's like, yeah, you know, we really like to have Quentin Flowers as part of our team. It's one guy. It's the whole league owns every team, so they'd have to agree to move him around. But then, by the same token, he's like, "Yeah, I really, but I really like playing here in Tampa, and you know, I'll do anything, even play running back if I have to." So, so I'm going to read between the lines. I think he wants Mark Tressman traded. It's exactly what he wants. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to go. He thinks the other guy should go. I mean, that's what we're down to. Like, you know, if you won't, if you won't change coaches, then I don't want to play. And but I really do want to play, and I really do want to play here. It's just this guy won't play me, so. Um, really confusing bunch of uh, things going on there. <laughs> Back to Jameis real quickly. Uh, we've talked about Mike Sando, the athletic, saying that the Bucks have been all over Teddy Bridgewater. We, you just mentioned Breeze and the money they got wrapped up in him, but he's coming back for his 20th NFL season. Taysom Hill is still there as a restricted free agent, likely to keep him uh, in sort of a hybrid role. But Breeze is 41. Maybe this is his last year. 20 is a nice round number. Maybe he bows out if he can't get it done this season. And Jameis Winston comes in as the backup, as the number two, the, the, the job that Bridgewater had, and um, is ready to step in at a moment's notice. And in the worst-case scenario, he plays a whole year learning the offensive scheme and working under maybe the, the league's best play caller in Sean Payton, and he's ready to take over in 2021. What say you about that one? I think if you're Jameis and you can't find a starting quarterback position this year, that's an enticing opportunity. It really is. If it came available, I think I would jump at it. If I were, I would recommend that he jump at it. Who dat? I mean, who dat talk about eating them W's? You also know there's a chance Drew Brees doesn't play every game this season. That's so true you, too. Just like Teddy Bridgewater, what played five games this year with injury. I mean, mm-hmm. when you've got a 41 year old quarterback, 
Anything can happen. You know, that can happen. And to to be behind, if you're going to be behind someone, being behind Breeze and Sean Payton calling the plays is a good place to be. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, after five games last year, look, is the hottest free agent quarterback that's, you know, that wasn't a starter. Going yeah, in, that's going absolutely correct. I mean, you know, is that I mean, all the other ones you're talking about, Rivers, Brady, Jameis, you, you name the quarterbacks, they're all starting quarterbacks. Bridgewater's the backup, mm. and he's he's going to command some big bucks this year. He might, if he has more than one team after him, and I think that the Bucks will be interested if, if uh, you believe what Mike Sando wrote and uh, probably some others, including a team that, that, that he could also look at, Jameis Winston, I mean, and that is the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, the Chargers – Seem to want Tom Brady. They they put out there that they're you know looking to sell tickets. They're going to be the first year of the stadium where they're the number two tenant behind the Rams in in Los Angeles. So there's a lot of a lot of hype out there. But they also have the sixth overall pick, and they're likely going to draft a quarterback. And the smart money is on um, either you know Justin Herbert of Oregon or Utah State's Jordan Love. However, however, as Stephen A. would say, I digress. Could Winston? be the bridge quarterback for one of those first round picks look if they don't get brady who you know i think in an ideal world they get brady and then draft a quarterback to learn under brady right who jordan love herbert you know or even if it's Mm -hmm. Tua drops that far um you know whoever it is and if it's Tua, you almost want a bridge quarterback for whoever that Mm -hmm. is uh, because you you don't know his health and you may just want to sit him this year just to to, to make sure he's healthy in that but that's um, right you know, as a bridge quarterback, I think that's a. I think that's. I think that's probably how teams will look at Jameis more than starter. Here, but here's my five year starting quarterback. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, as Bruce Arians has said, and and you know, how many quarterbacks throw thirty interceptions in a year, including seven mm-hmm. pick sixes, which have never been done before, is mm-hmm. that I don't know if I don't know if anyone's willing to invest a five year, five year contract in Jameis. You know, with much of it guaranteed, because right. you just don't. You, it's not that he's an unknown commodity, but you just don't know if he's going to improve or not. Mm-hmm. Because in his fifth year, granted, it was his best year in so many categories, but interceptions was awful. Yeah. And so you're, you're, you know, is it the new offense? Is it everything else around the team? The lack of running game? Is it, you know, you don't know. I mean, the defense got better, but the picks still kept coming. Right. So, you know, I just can't see a team investing long term, but to sign. Jameis to help to be a bridge quarterback to a younger quarterback? Absolutely. And that's the scenario I have painted uh, in this column about the Miami Dolphins. If somehow they get mm-hmm. from number five to maybe all the way to two, if they have to, to get to a, a Tungavaloa, then I think um, at that point, you know, guy coming off, you know, a, a, a tough hip injury, maybe not quite ready to play. Maybe you want to give him a year to, to sit and, and, uh, and benefit, you know, the way Patrick Mahomes did. Behind Alex Smith, or Aaron Rodgers Jam- before that, Aaron Rodgers, yeah, may- maybe Jameis Winston makes sense now. Right down down there now, of course, they have Ryan Fitzpatrick in that role, but they could upgrade that and try to win now and also develop their young quarterback because you know they're going to want to win some games this year, whether whether it's Tua and he plays right away or not. Um, I think the other wobbly quarterback starter scenario. There's a couple of them. One is in Chicago with Mitch Trubisky. Mm-hmm. You know, they they seem committed to going with him. That seems like similar to what it was a year ago with Marcus Mariota in Tennessee and having Ryan Tannehill back up. You could go and back up the wobbly starter, and as soon as he flames out, boom, you're in there, and maybe you get something done, and maybe you parlay that into uh, something next year. And I think the Colts are in that position with Jacoby Brissett. 
I think it's very similar. It's a good football team, really good offensive line, running game, um, pretty good receivers, a tight end. And, um, you know, if uh, if the Colts didn't get Tom Brady and, and uh, somebody else that they may have their eyes on uh, in the draft and they went ahead uh, and signed Jameis Winston, you could see those two guys uh, kind of tagging up. So I, I think as you go and you look through this, I mean, you know, you can come up with as many scenarios as you want to, but the overriding impression I get is that there is not – one place where you would say, oh, yeah, if he if he doesn't go back to Tampa, he is starting and name the city. I don't know that that's quite – he may wind up being the starter someplace, and that might be for what we said, either a bridge quarterback or, or a wobbly guy that he beats out. Um, but I don't think it's a slam dunk. And as such, I think it's difficult to do a contract and to, and to ask the Bucks, um, you know, for $28, $30 million because – the Bucks are sitting here going, yeah, but we've got all these other needs and we don't necessarily think that there are other teams that will pay you that. And they're thinking, you know, going through the same exercise we just did. So it's going to be really interesting. I mean, a lot of things are out there. Jameis is putting things on Instagram and, and uh, you know, interpretation is whatever you want it to be. But we're going to have to go through this at least until the 12th of March. We find out when the, when the uh, player tags come out, if they tag, you know, uh, Shaq Barrett and, and Jameis Winston is left to be a free agent. That will be one tell, obviously. Uh, if they have two tags because they don't pass the CBA, maybe Jameis gets the transition. So we'll know more about it on March 12th. But boy, it's fun to think about it now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, Diana Neros joins us now. And uh, Diana, before we talk about the lightning uh, on the ice, of course, and then playing Boston as they did the other night. I wanted to ask you, uh, there's a lot of effects of the uh, coronavirus uh, with respect to sports. In hockey in particular, it goes uh, just beyond, um, you know, trying to stay clear of the virus, obviously, but also includes equipment, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. The Lightning are finally seeing signs of progress just as this virus is hitting our area because they're getting sticks. Uh, the... There are two main factories that produce like 75% of the sticks used in the NHL, one for CCM, one for Bauer, both in China. And both were shut down because of the outbreak in China. And uh, so there have been players who everyone has had their stick supply so far, but they've been dwindling. And uh, there's been some management of uh, maintaining those numbers. And finally, there's a shipment that's supposed to go out on March 7th. And um, there's a little counting down happening as players want their new <laughs> sticks finally. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the uh, you know, obviously the fatal disease is of concern, but some of the other things you don't think of that get affected, um, you know, in a, maybe less important way is uh these players um and they're 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 dwindling supply of hockey sticks here <laughs> i've never thought about this i mean uh, obviously i you know i'm familiar with baseball and how many bats that uh you know a, a player or a team may go through um you know during during the course of a season but it, it must be considerable too with with hockey sticks right they break they break all the time 
Oh, definitely. And so six break. And even when they don't break, they lose their pop. And I can't really Mm. describe that for you because I cannot swing a hockey stick with nearly the force that these guys are doing it. So I can't tell you exactly what that means, but it means something Mm. to them. They don't feel it has it's it's lost some of its integrity um, just Mm. through use. So most guys will use a new stick every game. They usually have a supply of three going into the game. And usually they start a new one when the game starts. Maybe not always, but most often. And then they've got those two other kind of ready taped. And, you know, if one breaks, that's what gets they get hands can get handed over to them to start a new one. But, yeah, so usually you use a game stick once and then maybe it becomes a practice stick. Um, and then it gets shunted into a closet in Brandon. So there actually is a supply of not game quality sticks, but they're not broken. So if they really needed to, they could have dug into that, that, uh, closet, um, as they're going short on sticks now, but, uh, there has, nobody's reached that point and they're hoping not to. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I can imagine. And of course the coronavirus, uh, you know, spread, uh, many different ways like any virus, um, hockey players, when they're on the ice, anyway, they they wear gloves for the most part. Are they are they elbow bumping? Are we fist bumping? What are we doing now that uh, that we're not really shaking hands? Um, haven't seen a lot of it. Um, there's in general a lot of fist bumping because of the gloves. Um, they sure, don't, sure. Big clunky gloves don't really uh, lead to high fives very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, most of these teams have already taken the precautions against the flu. You know, the flu hit really hard this year and it spread yeah. so easily. So most of the precautions for their coronavirus are really the same ones they were already had in place for the flu. Right. Um, so really, you're not seeing a lot being done differently. It's just mm. with multiple viruses in mind. <laughs> sure. No, makes sense. Well, let's talk about uh, on the ice, of course, and uh, – the biggest story over there right now is the status of Steven Stamkos. We know now um, that he has an abdominal injury. They're telling uh, us six to eight weeks for his return under the best-case scenario. Uh, does that timetable st- still seem the same? And, and what what are they missing? I mean, obviously Stamkos brings more, right, than just what he does in scoring and the power play. Um, but, but who's going to fill some of those roles, and, and just how will this affect their game, so to speak? Um, so he had his surgery on Monday and everything went as expected. So right now, six to eight weeks still looks like the timeline. Um, six Mm -hmm. would be in the middle of the first round. Eight would probably be, um, in the middle of the second round. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, this, this is an injury that has affected different players very differently. We've seen guys take up to two months. Um, we've seen, you know, uh, seen the gambit really on how this has affected hockey players. Um, and Stamkos, you're right. He uh, adds so much to this team in different areas. He is not the Lightning's best player anymore, um, but he is still their best shot. He still plays on the top line. He is their top threat on the power play. He's one of the few guys in any sport who everyone knows what you're going to do. Everyone knows he's going to take that one-timer from the left circle on the power play. And it still works. You cannot replace that. You cannot just stick another player at the left circle and be like, okay, take one-timers. Like, Mm. it's just, it's not a thing. So, instead, this means that they don't change everything about what they're doing. 
but you know, run that power play a little bit differently. They clearly have other threats on it. You have Nikita Kucherov on the other side, who has a uh, pretty decent one-timer himself. You have Braden Point. You have um, sometimes Anthony Thorelli, sometimes Alex Gorn. Right now we're seeing Tyler Johnson. Like, these are all guys who can score goals, who bring something. So it's not – it's something in between just plugging a guy into Sam Coves' spot and redoing everything. Um, and so we're kind of seeing them find where, where in that range they're going to fall on the power play, um, and everywhere else. One of the biggest places you see Stamkos's impact is because everyone knows what he can do. Teams game plan for him. They game plan for him. They game plan for Kucherov. And that creates different openings for other people. And so now if they don't have opponents, don't have Stamkos to focus on, they can pay more attention to other people on the ice. So that's one of the places where we're going to see an impact. And I think it kind of remains to be seen exactly what that's going to look like. But that's that's a big hole that you obviously you can't fill that. That's that's a Stamkos thing. That's a Kucherov thing. There are specific players who do that. Um, so that's going to be one of the factors in, in, um, I guess in not replacing Stamkos more than directly replacing him. Uh, you'll really miss him on the power play for sure. Um, because they would shade to that side and like, to your point, it'd create opportunities for other people on, uh, in five on five, they've had to obviously switch up some lines. So, uh, you know, I was listening to Alex Kalorn uh, before the game against Boston. He's being interviewed uh, by Pierre Maguire, I think. And, just talking about, look, there's got to be other guys, and they have them, who have to step up, right, in terms of, uh, of providing some of the offense. Definitely. And, again, you can look to Nikita Kucherov, but he's already leading the goal, the team in goals. How, you know, Maybe yeah. there's more opportunities for him because Stamkos isn't taking some of the shots, but you can't just look to your leaders and be like, okay, add even right. more. Um, and one of the guys who I think, obviously, so Andre Pilat is – playing on that first line and he's somebody who's capable of scoring goals and was really hot early on in the season Mm -hmm. and can definitely get hot now playing on that line especially but I'm really intrigued to see what Yanni Gord does so Yanni Gord had a 35 game goal drought that's absurd and nearly unheard of since then he has four goals in 10 games this is not Mm. like watch out for the team lead kind of numbers but they're very good numbers he scored a goal uh, against Boston, which was eventually overturned because Tyler Johnson was offsides by like maybe an inch. Um, but it was a sharp one-timer from high in the zone. And Yanni Gord is known for scoring goals, tips, deflections, rebounds right around the goal mouth. And that mm-hmm. would have been his second goal in two games from up high. And the other one was a really nice wrister. So, he's getting his confidence back. He's taking those shots. You're seeing this is a guy who scored upwards of 20 goals last year. I can't remember the exact number. Um, You know, he's obviously fully capable and we're seeing him get that confidence, take those shots more. I'm intrigued to see how he's going to finish out this regular season um, with or without Stamkos, just kind of gaining that confidence and where he might be adding more on the goal front. Uh, that turned out to be a huge goal, of course, when um, you know when when the when the offsides uh, was called, and, and and I'm 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 just wondering, um, you know, replay has become such a big part of every sport, right? And it slows the game down a little bit. I don't think it slowed 
the game down that much. But are are there teams? Are there do people in hockey? Would they like to see that particular call not reviewed? I mean, is that one that that the refs should get right? Well, so yes and no. <laughs> um, that the thing that. I, I am a fan of getting things right. I don't mind sure. replay. Yes, it's annoying when they drag on forever. But for right. the most part, I like the fact that you have a chance to go back and getting, get things right. But mm-hmm. that was a call that I don't know if many referees could have made in real time. No. If that was, was a, a yeah. you slow down to frame by frame. Right. And hockey is just not played frame by frame. Mm. So I don't know where the compromise is between getting things right and having the opportunity to go back and get them right, but mm. also getting things right realistically, where um, it was actually suggested by Jack Edwards, who does the Bruins broadcast uh, a few months ago, or I'm sure he said it many times, but I heard it a few months ago, that you should replay at full speed, not mm-hmm. slow it down to frame by frame everything else, because that's the speed at which the game is played. Now, on a play like the one we're talking about, Johnson, who was offsides by an inch, should have held up. You know, there was, sure. it was, yes, they're on the rush and, you know, but it wasn't one of those plays where there are some that you just kind of feel like, okay, I see why he was offsides. And that one was one where he could have been a little more conservative. But when we're talking about the replay, I just feel like there could be, I don't know what it is. And I hate being one of those people who's just like, this isn't right, but I don't have any idea of how to fix it. But that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying right now. It's not quite right, and I don't know what the medium ground is. Yeah, it's one of those unintended consequences of technology. We've seen it in baseball where, you know, a guy slides in, he's clearly safe, but his foot comes off the bag maybe just for um, the smallest of margins while the glove is still applied and he's out, and there's really not much you can do because that's what uh, that's re- what replay shows. So that was a tough break for them uh, for sure. We've already talked about Stamkos and his injury. Um, maybe some good news coming on the horizon with Ryan McDonough and uh, Jan Ruda? Yeah, Ryan McDonough was a full participant in practice today for the first time. He's been out for a couple morning skates, um, optional morning skates. And the difference there is that an optional morning skate is very individual skill-based. For mm. uh, There's no puck battle, you know, things like that. Whereas mm-hmm. a full practice, you're going to see a lot more of that physical elements. So he was a full participant in all physical elements. Um, Alex Kalorn said uh, he felt McDonough was as strong as ever when he went up against him in practice on Wednesday. So that was a great sign. There's still no update on when we might expect to see him back, but this is definitely a sign of progress and that it might not be too too long now before we see him in a game. Jan Ruda uh, skated both Tuesday and Wednesday, but he did so in a non-contact jersey on Wednesday. So it's definitely a little bit longer for him. Um, but seeing some some definite signs, uh, you can maybe start raising your hopes on seeing McDonough soon. Yeah, that, that would be great for them, of course. Uh, we've seen, of course, the Lightning add some physicality. Uh, to their team, uh, obviously beginning of the year with Pat Maroon, we've got uh, Barclay Goodrow and Blake Coleman and others. So what what have they brought to this team? And in fact, what what are some of the examples where you see now um, that, that teams are having to deal with these guys and, it, and it's helping the Lightning? So we have all talked about physicality with them. Um, that was what mm-hmm. the Lightning said they went out and targeted. But honestly, the thing that's impressed me most is the PK. Uh, mm. We knew that Goodrow and Coleman both are known for being penalty killers. 
But the two of them together on a penalty kill is fun to watch. They had mm. two shorthanded chances on one uh, shift the other day. They did it again against the Bruins. That's a really good penalty kill unit. And them being physical players always helps on something like a penalty kill. But it's not just that. It's a combination of elements um, that include a whole lot of skilled pieces that uh, they haven't scored a shorthanded goal yet. You should start to feel like, okay, something's coming soon because they've got too many chances uh, not to at some point get one through shorthanded. But as far as your actual question, they are adding a lot in the physicality. And some of it's just they've both been described as pests. And around Mm. here around a lot of parts. When you say pest, you think of Brad Marchand. And there's different forms of pest. It's not all Brad Marchand. It's not all... It's getting under your your teammate's skin, but he does it a little more blatantly versus... um, There was a a moment in the Toronto game that Goodrow had John Tavares lined up, gave him a little shove, knocked him over, and then as soon as Tavares goes to get us up, he knocks him over again. And those are those pesty moments that, like, just make the idea is that you now I'm not going to say John Tavares spent the rest of the rest of the game afraid of Barclay Goodrow. That's that's not what happens. But now Goodrow has established a tone of like, this is what it's going to be like. I'm not going to be easy to go up against. Mm. And those are the kind of moments that you see from those guys, not just the you know, who's going to get active in a scrum or who's going to get in a fight or who's going to deliver the massive hit. It's some of those smaller moments that are just like, hey, tonight's not going to be easy. Here's your warning. Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. And, of course, that would help them as they get into the postseason as well. Um, I have noticed, of late at least, it, I don't know if John Cooper would agree, but it seems as if they may have taken, and this is a collective team thing, maybe too many penalties of late during this sort of, mini slide if you will yeah they are there's definitely been an increase in penalties and that's kind of highlighting the i don't think the pk has become troublesome but it was nearly perfect for a very long time and it is no longer nearly perfect they were great against boston which is great boston has a great penalty kill but they've been allowing like one maybe two a game you'd like to get rid of the two but allowing one penalty uh, sorry, one power play goal a game is pretty average. So it's more that they've slipped from exceptional to good. Um, right. Then, But part of that comes from they're killing more now. And the more penalties you kill, the more penalties you take, the more right. chances there are to allow a power play goal. So it really does start with those not taking penalties and not taking stupid penalties and not taking the, the stick penalties of, you know, just getting frustrated and sticking your stick out and hooking somebody or grabbing somebody else's stick or, you know, those kinds of things that are so avoidable are the most frustrating penalties that you see a team taking. I'm curious, just overall, what is the, the, you know, they were so incredibly hot. I mean, as hot as they have ever been, um, you know, for, for the years that they've, they've been playing really. And, and it was inevitable that they couldn't maintain that pace necessarily but during this sort of this stretch where you know they lose four out of five or five out of six, whatever it is, um, 
what what's the overall mood of the team? Do they feel like they're playing well? Do they think they're going to get rewarded uh, if they continue this way? Um, obviously, they've sustained some injuries and have some new players, so maybe that was part of what's going on in the transition phase. I mean, just how do they feel about uh, about things going forward? Because now they're, as we do this podcast, some nine points behind Boston. Yeah, catching Boston is starting to look uh, harder and harder. Um, but there was a different tone in the after the loss to Boston um, than uh, some of the other losses, Toronto in particular, coming to mind. They felt good about how they ended the game against Boston. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing about that game was they they did not create the opportunities offensively. Defensively, they didn't give up a ton. This was not a, like, oh, they cracked down in that great defense that we saw during that um, win streak. But mm-hmm. it was not, you know, oh, my gosh, sound the alarm, bad kind of game it was slow the concerning part was that they were slow and let the Bruins dictate early and couldn't recover and this is a team that prides itself on being somebody that other teams have to you know forces other teams to play their game so that's what went wrong in the most recent one they felt good about how they ended it and they felt good about having responded so those were signs of progress that they were kind of willing to uh, not say it was good enough but right see as positives um and that was all there in that game but to make a deep playoff run they need to be the team that forces other teams to play their game and that's something they have been and just need to get back to and need to start games off strong setting the tone so that's what it'll you know that's that's really what they want what they need to do to just establish the kind of game they want to be playing coming out of the regular season and into the postseason and of course, they'll get another chance at Boston on Saturday against the Bruins. Before I let you go, I, I wanted to mention the uh, piece you did in TampaBay.com. You can read it in the Tampa Bay Times as well. And that is uh, 10 years. Uh, seems to have gone by rather fast uh, for some uh, since Jeff Finnick purchased the Lightning. And what was interesting, Diana, as I read this piece, was just the contrast of what it was, what he inherited, messed the were, both as an organization. Of course, they were only... Six seasons removed from winning a Stanley Cup, but the building, the team—I mean, he really did a lot of work here to get to get him where they are today. He did, and it's so easy to look at the last few years and you think, "Oh, buying the Lightning is was such a no-brainer." But he didn't buy this Lightning. He bought a very different mm-hmm. team with a very different kind of fan support. There were definitely some lifers who were gonna who were hardcore fans of the team, but it didn't have the the breadth of the support that it has now. And the business was just losing money all over the place. It was not a easy uh, investment to get into. He would have been better off trying to expand with a new franchise than buy one that was in this the state of that the Lightning was in. And he really. You know, it's funny. You hear around the Lightning, they use the phrase world-class organization. It's what he promised fans when he first got to Tampa. And it's one of those phrases that, like, sure, every team wants to be a world-class organization. But then you look around and you realize, okay, he made that happen. 
And what's really impressive is how much he is committed to finding the right people and enabling them to do their jobs. He's not an owner who's going to meddle in your decisions. Um, he knows what he doesn't know. And I guess that's one of the one of the things that's hardest, but the smartest people out there know what they don't know and find people who can fill those gaps. And that's what he's done, and that's part of why the Lightning is now one of the franchises that other teams around the NHL look to to emulate um, off the ice as far as how the business is run as much as they're successful on the ice. And it was really interesting talking to people who are around for the start of just what it took to make that happen. Oh, yeah, it's a good piece. Uh, Stephen Griggs is one of those that you talk to as well. And uh, not just uh, his hockey team and, of course, what he has managed to do uh, with Emily Arena and and the product that he puts on the ice, but also from a community standpoint, his community hero program. This is incredible to me when they pass this milestone, twenty million dollars that they have given, uh, fifty thousand dollars at a time for the most part, and um and and it it has changed a lot of the Tampa Bay area because of what folks have been able to do with that sort of outreach. Definitely, and again, I went into that story just thinking, oh, wow, this is a lot of money. That's really fantastic. And the more I talked to people, the more I've realized, um, I kept making the reference, it's a line in the story, they didn't just give a man a fish. They taught a man how to fish at the same time. Mm. They hold Mm. events bringing together heroes. And Elizabeth Frazier, who works with the foundation, she says she plays matchmaker. And she, you know, they hold events for all the heroes and then for heroes who have specific goals, you know, similar goals or similar um, areas they work in to try mm-hmm. to foster relationships so that there's less duplication and more, wait, you do this. I do something really similar to that. Let's team up. And now you have Habit- Habitat for Humanity building a home for somebody while driving for success is donating a car to that somebody to be able to get to work reliably And, you know, they've made an even bigger difference in somebody's lives by working together. And everyone I talked to said that it was those relationships that they've created through the program were as impactful as the money they received. And that's just so cool. Fun fact that actually isn't in the story. Um, They originally, when they were in the process of coming up with this i don't know who originally made the suggestion but it was for a number that was under fifty thousand, and it was jeff vinnick who specifically said no let's up this and got to the fifty thousand number so yeah that's just huge what they've been able to do in this community and the amount of nonprofit organizations that have benefited that money has carried a long way and then some uh you got to read this story it's in tampabay.com diana neros covers the lightning they play the canadians tonight at seven o'clock at emily arena and then you're on the road Diana to Boston, of course, on Saturday, and then quickly a little trip over to Detroit. So um, I guess it's still cold up there. Bring your jacket, right? Oh, yeah. It'll be cold and slushy. March in the Northeast <laughs> is pretty much the worst time, but that's okay. I'll come back to Florida afterward. You're you're well aware of what it's like being a New Englander yourself. Thanks, Diana. We appreciate exactly. it. <laughs> Always good to be on. Folks, there's something for everyone at Tampa Bay Downs. In addition to the thoroughbred horse racing, you can also – uh, see some No Limits action in the Silks Poker Room. You can work on your golf swing at the Downs Golf Practice Facility and, of course, live thoroughbred racing four days a week. 
You can call Tampa Bay Downs at 813-855-4401 or check out their website at tampabaydowns.com for more information and 2020 promotions. Tomorrow we're going to have our popular mailbag segment. I know you have a lot of questions uh, on the NFL. Jameis Winston, of course, free agency, not to mention the Lightning, heck, even the Vipers, you name it, the Rays, bring it to us. Submit your questions as usual. You can reach us on Twitter at SportsDayTV or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow for Steve Burstick. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.